0: Thank you, Grayson. Welcome to Fellowship Nashville. My name is Mark Irving. I serve as one of the pastors here. And it's good to be back with you after taking a break for a few weeks for vacation and battling my first bout with the COVID virus. Um, I evaded that thing for two and a half years, and it finally caught up to me. I'm pretty sure I caught it on a flight on the way to vacation. I sat next to a guy who cussed like a sailor, and it turns out he was one. Um, he was a, he was an Alaskan fish, commercial fisherman, and but he had good character. He liked to share, and um, fortunately it was a mild illness for me. Um, but it's good to be back here uh, teaching this morning. I just want to thank all our FSM students. Let's just give them one more round of applause. <laughs> Thank you for serving the body this morning. Also, I want to extend a warm welcome to all of our college students. Yes. Would you please stand, college students? If you're, if you're here as a college student, go ahead and stand where you are. You will not be alone. There's a lot of you. It's so good to have you back here with us after, after the summer break. We, we are hopeful that this becomes your home away from home a place where you can be encouraged in your faith, grow in your faith, find a multi-generational expression of the body of Christ that you can plug into, not only to be encouraged by, but also to use the giftedness that God has given you to serve a local body of believers. If I have any encouragement for you as a pastor, um, if you are a college student, don't just coast through your college years and stay disconnected from the body of Christ. Get plugged in. You need the body of Christ, and guess what? The body of Christ needs you because God has gifted you with unique gifts to serve the body. And we're looking forward to seeing how he uses you in the years to come as you engage with us while you're here at school. Well, as most of you know, we just finished up a series, a sermon series to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. And we're about to, to follow that up by jumping into a series to the book of 2 Peter, the second epistle that Peter wrote. But before we do, we thought it'd be a great time to take a one-week time out. And rehash our mission and our vision as a church. For those of you who have been around Fellowship Nashville for, for quite a while, my hope is that if somebody were con- to come up to you and ask you, hey, what is the mission and vision of Fellowship Nashville? My, my hope is that you'd be able to rattle off a quick answer of what exactly those are, why we exist, our mission, and where we're prayerfully going, our vision together. But the reality is that it's been a couple of years since we put a spotlight on it, um, and your memory may have faded a bit. We've also had quite the influx of new people into our congregation, so we felt that now is an ideal time to revisit and remind ourselves of why we exist, our mission, and where we hope to go with God's help, our vision as a church, which is precisely what we're going to do together this morning. Back in the 1970s, when I was young, a guy by the name of Peter Drucker began writing and speaking on the importance of mission statements for corporations and businesses. And his thought leadership in this this area really caught fire in corporate America. And in the 1980s, almost every business attempted to clearly define and articulate their mission as an organization. So, everybody from Dunkin' Donuts to HCA Healthcare developed a corporate mission statement. Let me show you HCA Healthcare's mission statement. They're one of the biggest employers here in Nashville. They say this Above all else, we are committed to the care and improvement of human life. Let me show you Dunkin' Donuts. We exist to provide HCA Healthcare with a steady stream of business. (laughs) That's a joke. I'm sure, they have a, I'm sure they have a mission statement. That's not it. But right on the heels of this mission statement business trend, local churches across the country began to do the very same thing because Christians, for better or usually worse, are typically good copycats of broader culture. Well, as you might imagine, when churches began to ask themselves, why do we exist? Why do we exist? And how can we state that succinctly in a mission statement? The answer typically came down to some form of, We exist to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus. Because when you think about it, the mission of the church is not really up for debate. The mission is quite clear. Jesus himself gave the church, his church, its mission. He gave the church its marching orders when he spoke some of his last words to his disciples. And he said to them right before his ascension into heaven, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is the marching orders from Jesus to the church. This is often what we call the great what, if you know it? Great commission. And this is the mission of the church. But being individual individualistic Americans, elder boards, church leadership teams, deacon boards all around the country try to make themselves unique from other churches um, around them by coming up with a uniquely clever way to restate the Great Commission, to say the very same thing about making disciples of Jesus. And so now if you go and look up websites of Bible-believing, Jesus-following churches, you'll oftentimes find on their website some sort of clever restatement Of the Great Commission. And when we were spun off, Fellowship Nashville was spun off as a church plant in 2018 from Fellowship Bible Church in Brentwood. One of the first things our elder team did was to ask the question okay, how are we going to state our mission as a new local church here in Nashville? But instead of coming up with our own cleverly phrased restatement of the Great Commission, we decided to hit the easy button. I mean, mean, we decided to be countercultural trendsetters trendsetters, and simply use the words of Jesus himself. Why not let Jesus speak for himself? After all, he's the one who gives the mission to his church. And so we have adopted Matthew 28, verses 18, 18, 19. Yeah, verses 19 through 20. 18 is an important preamble. We'll get to that. We've adopted Matthew 28:19 through 20 as our mission statement. So as we review our mission together as a church, would you please take your copy of God's word if you brought a Bible with you this morning or the fake copy on your phone and, and turn to Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. The words are going to be up on the screen behind me. If you don't own a Bible, there is at least one at the connect point in back. And if you're the first one there, just elbow your way there, grab that. That's our gift to you. We need to order more, note to self. But that's our gift to you. Go ahead and take a Bible from the connect point. If you are able this morning, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of God's word, beginning in verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then here in verse 19, he gives the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, as we look into your word this morning, we ask that you would uh, give us eyes to see, give us hearts to hear what your spirit says to the church. Father, use uh, my words uh, to uh, explain your word. Your word is the most important, Lord. And so, Father, give me clarity of thought as I teach. Thank you for an opportunity to hear from you this morning. Amen. You may be seated. Now why is it important for us to review our mission as a church by studying these marching orders from Jesus? Well, first of all, because Jesus is the chief shepherd of the church. He is the true lead pastor of Fellowship Nashville. I simply serve as an under-shepherd So if I ever begin leading you away from what Jesus says to do, your job is to listen to Jesus, fire me, and find yourself another under-shepherd. The second reason why it's important for us to review the Great Commission is that mission drift happens. Mission drift happens. An organization or church may have a very clear, well-articulated mission statement, but end up drifting away from it over time. When this happens, the functional mission essentially becomes something very different than the stated mission. Let me give you an example. Wells Fargo Bank's mission statement, stated mission statement, is this. We exist to help customers succeed financially by valuing what's right for them in everything we do. But not too long ago, a subsection of the U.S. Department of Treasury published a report about Wells Fargo Bank that uh, was fairly scathing. It found, and I quote, an extensive and pervasive pattern of practice of discriminatory and illegal credit practices across multiple lines of business within the bank, resulting in significant harm to large number of customers. Somewhere along the line, valuing what's right for their customers and helping their customers to succeed financially, their stated mission got swept under the rug. It was replaced by a functional mission, which was more about making more money for the bank, helping the bottom line of the bank by using its customers. A functional mission can be very, very different than an organization's stated mission. And unfortunately, the same type of mission drift can happen in local churches. And in America, where bigger is often viewed as better, the functional mission of a local church often becomes all about making itself bigger. The mission drifts away from disciple-making and turns into some form of attracting more worship attenders usually by stealing them from other congregations by trying to create more effective programming that caters more effectively to American consumers. And so the stated disciple-making great commission morphs into a not-so-great functional commission, which reads something like this. Go into all the world and make worship attenders baptizing them in the name of small groups, and teaching them to give 10% and volunteer once a month. And when this becomes the functional mission of a church, we inevitably start using the wrong yardstick to measure success. We begin measuring success by our seating capacity rather than our sending capacity, by our financials rather than our faithfulness. We redefine success away from making disciples as Jesus intended to filling seats, building budgets, and getting a lot of square footage in buildings. So instead of building a movement of people, we'd redefine success as moving people into a building. We start telling people to bring their friends to the church service and let the professionals take it from there, rather than equipping the people to go be the church where they live, work, learn, and play. We say, invite people to church rather than equipping you to go be the hands and feet of Jesus in your classrooms, in your workspaces, in your neighborhoods, in your friend groups, in your families. So to avoid this type of mission drift, it's imperative for us as a congregation to consistently remind ourselves of our marching orders from the lips of Jesus our disciple-making mission. So let's dive into this text that we just read from Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And since we're just diving into the middle of a um, text here without any context, let me just give you the setting before we go any further. This is at the tail end of Jesus' time here on earth with his disciples. He's already been crucified, buried, and he's risen, just miraculously risen from the dead. And he's appeared to the remaining 11 disciples minus Judas and given them instructions to meet up with him in Galilee at a specific mountain there to receive further instructions. So this passage occurs after Jesus' resurrection, but before his ascension that's recorded for us at the beginning of the book of Acts. That's the setting, which means that Jesus is about to say to his disciples some very important words, because last words are important words. But before we get to those instructions from Jesus, I want you to notice something in verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Say it out loud but some doubted. Isn't it interesting that Matthew includes this little tidbit here? And he might have been one of the ones who doubted. I'm so glad that, that, Ma- that Matthew included this. Keep in mind, the, these are the guys These original disciples are the ones who turned the world upside down with the gospel, but some of them doubted. You know what that means? It means that they didn't have perfect faith. And I find comfort in that because I don't either. These original disciples weren't some kind of spiritual giants up on a pedestal. No, they were ordinary people like you, like me, that had doubts Doubt isn't a bad thing. Persistent unbelief is. But doubt is not the opposite of faith. In fact, it can actually lead to a more well-thought-out and more well-informed faith. Jesus can work with our doubt, And we can be like that guy in Mark chapter 9 that approaches Jesus and says, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. We all still have corners of our hearts where we have yet to believe the gospel or its implications. And that's why we need each other. That's why we gather on Sunday morning so we can remind ourselves of the truths of the gospel and internalize them in deeper ways. The original disciples were not some incredible spiritual giants. They were ordinary, average, imperfect people who God used in spite of themselves. In fact, the religious elite elite, when we get to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, they're observing um, Peter and John. And they look at them and go, what on earth? Because they are observing that they're ordinary and unschooled men with incredible boldness. Ordinary and unschooled. And if Jesus can use the likes of them, he can use the likes of me, and he can use the likes of you. Because God has a history of using the inadequate to accomplish the impossible. Would you say that out loud with me? God has a history of using the inadequate to accomplish the impossible. Now, I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you and say this, okay? You're average, but God can use you. Go ahead. (laughs) Now, turn to the person on the other side. Say the same thing. You don't have to be extraordinary to be on mission with Jesus. You don't have to be extraordinary to fulfill the great commission. You just have to be willing. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. And you probably at this point heard a, ah. From the disciples. These had to be comforting words to the disciples. Why? They had just seen the Roman and religious authorities crucify Jesus. These are powerful authorities, and Jesus says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. In conquering death, Jesus demonstrated who is really in control. Those earthly authorities didn't kill him. He laid his life down. The grave could not hold him. He rose from the dead. Jesus is in complete control. Jesus has supreme authority over everything. You know, if you rise from the dead, you're pretty much boss, okay? Therefore, Jesus says, because I'm the highest authority in heaven and on earth, exponentially more powerful than all of these Romans religious leaders, go, therefore, verse 19, And make disciples of all nations. On first read here, it's easy to make the mistake in verse 19 to put the emphasis on the wrong, the emphasis on the wrong syllable, so to speak, or put the emphasis on the wrong imperative. In fact, the main imperative in this verse is not the word "go." It's actually a modifier of the main imperative. And the original Greek you could read like this. Wherever you go or while you are going, and then the main imperative, the main command comes, which is make disciples. While you are going, wherever you go, make disciples. And you might ask, well, then what's a disciple? And I'm glad you asked. The definition, I believe, can be found in the invitation that Jesus gives earlier in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 4.19, he approaches some fishermen, ordinary Galilean fishermen, And he says to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And in that three-part statement, we can find a definition of a disciple. A disciple is this. Someone who is following Jesus, being changed by him, and joining him on his mission. Say that out loud with me. Someone who is following Jesus being changed by him, and joining him on his mission. Well, what was the mission of Jesus? He states it fairly plainly in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man, that's a a self-identifier that Jesus liked to use. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's his mission statement. That's what he was about. Jesus came to pursue people and show them how they could enter into a restored relationship with God the Father, their creator, Through him. And if we are truly following Jesus, his overarching mission then becomes our own. When you play follow the leader, the purpose, agenda, and mission, and the priorities of the leader become your own. And so if you have a different agenda than Jesus, overarching purpose for your life, and it's different than the one for Jesus, you're not really following Jesus, Jesus goes on in Matthew 28 to flesh out how his followers are to go about making disciples. Let's pick it up in the middle of verse 19. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. you now, I don't have time to fully unpack all the significance of this verse. There's so much, and I, like, I wrote like a whole page and a half on it then had to delete it. I'll give it to you some other time. But, I want to draw your attention on the word baptism here. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In the early church, baptism was very closely associated with someone's salvation. As soon as someone professed belief and trust in Jesus for salvation, they didn't wait around. They said, okay, where's the water? Okay, we're going to baptize you. We're going to identify you with Christ. So when Jesus instructs his disciples here to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he's talking about the entire process of bringing somebody to faith in Jesus. This is often what we call evangelism, telling pre-believers the good news about what Jesus has done for them through his death, burial, and resurrection, and inviting them to respond in faith. But then Jesus goes on to say in verse 20, and teaching them, To observe all that I have commanded you. Disciple making not only involves bringing people to faith in Jesus, evangelism, it also involves helping people mature in their faith, what we often call discipleship. And when we help people mature spiritually, we are to teach them to observe everything that Jesus commanded us. And that includes this command to make more disciples. And, And so you see here, don't you, that there's this self perpetuating mission. There's this generational pull. To be a disciple or to become a disciple of Jesus means to become a disciple maker for Jesus. The two cannot be separated. To be a genuine disciple of Jesus is is to learn how to make more disciples of Jesus who then make more disciples of Jesus who then make more disciples of Jesus. The original disciples were faithful to that task. How do I know? Well, you're here. (laughs) Many of you, or most of you, profess faith in Jesus. That's because those original disciples made more disciples who made more disciples who made more disciples who made more disciples out of about maybe 100 more. And the person who God used to explain the faith to you, as he opened your heart to accept the beauty of the gospel, is in that chain. The gospels come to you. And now it's meant to flow through you. Now imagine that this task of making disciples felt rather daunting to the original disciples. And maybe you're sitting here this morning going, yeah, that feels kind of daunting to me too. I'm not sure if I really have what it takes to make other disciples of Jesus. Which is why I am so thankful for what Jesus says next in verse 20. Right at the end of verse 20. What does he say? Say this out loud. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What does that mean? It means we don't have to do this disciple-making mission on our own. That's what it means. Jesus promises to be with us in this mission. He's given us his spirit to indwell us and empower us. He never asks us to do something that that he won't also empower us to do. This is not just the great commission, it's the great co-mission with Jesus. He's continuing his work in the world through us. This is why he told his original disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't phrase it, follow me and you might become fishers of men if you have what it takes. No, he didn't say that. What did he say? Where did he put the, the weight on himself, on his own shoulders. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He will turn you into a disciple-maker if you're truly following him. And he will go with you and empower you as you go forward in his mission to seek and save the lost around you. So that is our mission as a church. We exist to make more disciples of Jesus bringing people to faith in Jesus and helping them grow in that faith in Jesus. So if someone walks up to you this week and asks you, hey, what's the mission of your church? Simply quote Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20. Our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that Jesus commanded. So that's our mission. Now, what about our vision as a church? Our mission clarifies why we exist. Our vision puts feet on our mission and clarifies where we are going, or at least where we hope to go, with God's help. Somewhere around your seat this morning, hopefully you found a little flyer with our vision on it. Um, if you didn't get one on your seat, I'm sorry. Look for one afterwards, or just lean over and look at your friends who's holding it, okay? Okay. And our vision is fairly simple. We've tried to make it memorable as easy as one, two, three, okay? By the year 2030, we're prayerfully asking God to empower us to reach one, send two, and plant three as a local church. It's a vision that was perfectly designed to fail without God's help. Reach one. We're asking God to help each of us individually each year to reach one person around us in our unique sphere of influence with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're praying that the good news becomes such good news to us that it overflows into our relationships. The people that we rub shoulders with each and every day, the usually eight to 15 people that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in our lives for the sake of the gospel. It's classmates, it's coworkers, it's friends, it's family members, it's the gal checking out your groceries at the grocery store. It's the people that you encounter Each and every week. You know, we have a fairly small congregation. But our footprint in this community is much, much larger than what we see here in this room. We may have, what, 175, 200 people here this morning. But the influence that we can have each and every week is at least tenfold this. Fewer and fewer people are going to come to church services in our culture but most will still have the opportunity to experience the church because the gospel goes in each and every one of us to where we live, work, learn, and play. At this point, I can hear an objection forming. Well, Mark, I'd really like to reach my friends and classmates and family and neighbors and coworkers with the gospel, but but I just don't feel equipped to do so. I mean, you've been to seminary. You know the Bible That's a pastor's job. If I read my job description correctly in Scripture, it's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's not to do the ministry. It's to equip you to do it. It's one of the reasons why we um, have put together a curriculum called the Follow Curriculum that takes you through an 18-session journey Well, if you conclude the introduction and the conclusion, it's a 20-session journey. That really grounds you in the gospel, what it is and what it means. How it can transform you from the inside out. How the gospel can become such good news to you that it begins to overflow from your life into your sphere of influence. Would love for you to plug into a follow group or a follow relationship one-on-one with somebody in the not-too-distant future. Um, most of our, our room for, for ladies is filled up, but if, um, if you're a lady and interested, still go ahead and go to our website and say, hey, I'm interested in this, and we will get back with you on how you might be able to engage with that now or at some point in the future. There's still a lot of room for guys in this. Um, I encourage you, if you're interested in being invested in and discipled and trained and equipped on how to be an everyday missionary where you live, work, learn, and play, Come take advantage of this curriculum that we've put together as a church. Um, You'll find some neat relationships as you go through that together with others as well. Another equipping opportunity that we have coming up is something called Together for Evangelism. This is a one-day conference. Okay, you're like, I'm a busy college student. I don't have time to do 20 sessions in a small group. Um, Saturday morning, September 10th. Go to bed before 2 a.m. on Friday night. (laughs) Get up. This is another local church here in town, but our very own Dave and Lynette Bachman. Go ahead and wave, guys. Our very own Dave and Lynette Bachman. They work with Navigators, our collegiate ministry, um, over at Vanderbilt. Expressions at Belmont, Lipscomb as well. But they are going to be giving a one-day seminar on how to live as an everyday missionary. Um, called Together for Evangelism. That's Saturday morning, September 10th. The cost of that is minimal. If cost is prohibitive, just reach out to us, and we will cover that for you. But you can register for that um, by going to the events page on our website, fellowshipnashville.church forward slash events. You'll see it there. Click on the link. It'll take you to an Eventbrite event registration there. I encourage you, if you're feeling like, man, I just would I don't feel equipped for this disciple-making mission. We want to equip you. We really do. And this is a, a great way um, to be equipped in that reach one aspect of our vision. So reach one. The second aspect of our vision is to send two. Send two. We are praying that God would raise up from our congregation two people each calendar year that would go out with the gospel and cross cultural boundaries with it. One of the things that I didn't emphasize in the great commission that we just looked at is the fact that Jesus says that we are to go and make disciples of who? Say it louder. All nations. This means that we are to attempt to cross cultural boundaries, ethnic boundaries for, with the gospel. Sometimes this means crossing an ocean. And we're hoping that God raises up and praying that God raises up people who are willing to go to another nation, literally. So sometimes it does mean crossing an ocean, but many times it could simply mean crossing the street. We live in a big city, and as is common in big cities. The nations are coming to Nashville. Sometimes it's easy to think of missions as over there. But we can reach nations right here. It's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about the location of our new facility, which we'll be giving you an update in coming weeks on where we are with that whole process. Um, But I'm really excited about the location. It's about three miles from here, but it's in a neighborhood that has more socioeconomic and more ethnic diversity. I'm excited to see how that is going to, how our facility is going to facilitate this aspect of our vision to cross cultural boundaries with the sake of the gospel. So reach one, send two. What's the third one? Plant three. What do we mean by that? We're praying that God would use our small congregation to plant three other congregations, gospel-centered, multicultural congregations, either here in Nashville or somewhere around the world by 2030. And you might say, wow, that sounds big. That sounds tough. I was telling um, a church planting guy of, of our vision. He said, that's too small. That's too small. You can do better than that. I was like, oh, okay, well. We need help. <laughs> I have no clue what to do. So um, given that I know we can't do this on our own, the elders have been in conversations with a church planting network called Converge. This is a group of churches that is all about making disciples and planting churches and doing it together. So we're exploring partnership with that and seeing what that might look like. We're also in conversations about what would it look like to, to bring in a church planter and resident, somebody who comes in and serves with our body, gets trained more in ministry, and then gets sent out to plant a church somewhere in our city in a place that needs more gospel presence and take even some of our congregation with them. We're thinking along those lines because we're not going to measure our success by our seating capacity, but rather by our sending capacity. The gospel is what's important. And seeing the gospel accessible to people in our city. And that might mean remaining small as a congregation, and I'm perfectly okay with that. We will measure our success by our sending capacity at Fellowship Nashville. All righty. Well, that's our vision. Reach one, send two, plant three. And so now I'm hopeful that if somebody comes up to you and say, hey, what's your vision as a church? You can simply say, Good quote Matthew ni- Matthew 28:19 through 20 and then talk about reach one send two plant three